Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Attorney, attorneys general, I always say attorney generals, that's wrong. Attorneys general from across the country got together to fight Joe Biden and his new rules regarding waters of the United States, which has always been this very strange story, this awkward story, this idea about whether or not the federal government should really be able to control waterways. And we're not talking about a shipping lane or something like that. We're controlling the water that ends up on your property. We're talking about a stream and we're talking about a lake. We have seen this federal government go so far as to say that if you have rain barrels and collecting water on your own land, somehow that's unacceptable. That water isn't really yours. It's a very, very strange situation. And Joe Biden tried to make it even worse, vetoing what Congress had brought to him, which was a bipartisan resolution saying, don't go forward with the rules change, tried to make a rules change, and it took a federal judge out of North Dakota to put an end to this. But what is all of this? Joe Biden lost out on controlling your water, but that's only for now. And will this judge's ruling be enough. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Let me bring in Sterling Burnett right here. Sterling Burnett is the director of the Arthur Robinson Center of Climate and Environmental Policy. He's also managing editor of Environment and Climate News. And it's good to have you with us, sir. Let's start from the beginning because this is about how we get fed. In the end result, this is about how farmers farm, how they grow food, and whether or not they have access to water. This affects every American from sea to shining sea and those people in Alaska and Hawaii. Start with the basics. What is Waters of the United States? How did it come about? And what was it that Joe Biden was trying to put forward? Well, it's it's actually a, a fairly long history. Uh, and it's not just farmers. It's if you care about private property, if you own something, you know, if you own land, if you own a house, it affects you. You don't have to be a farmer. You don't have to be a developer of energy. Uh, everyone is affected who has property that water sometimes stands on. Um, so we passed the Clean Water Act a long time ago, uh, back in the 70s, trying to make sure our ports were clear, that the waters that fed in the rivers were clear, uh, that they weren't polluted, that they weren't blocked. Over time, EPA mission creep kept expanding what so-called waters were covered by the Clean Water Act. Wetlands no, nowhere appears. The word wetlands does not appear in the Clean Water Act. But they wanted to say wetlands were covered by the Clean Water Act. And for a long time, the standard was navigable waters of the United States. And over time, the Supreme Court has uh, first it allowed this mess, and then it started chipping back. Uh, on on this and a series of rulings that threw out EPA definitions of waters, uh, navigable waters in the United States. So under Obama, he just jettisoned the term navigable and said, well, OK, we're going to go with waters in the United States. If you have a ditch that drains into water somewhere, possibly not that we can make the connection, but we think it might, uh, then it comes under federal control. Now, if you know anything about the Constitution, it says uh, things aren't under federal control uh, unless it's interstate commerce. And so if you've got a stock pond, that shouldn't qualify as a, even if it's navigable, 
you know, even if it's large enough for a small boat, that shouldn't qualify as a water of the United States if it's if it's in the borders of one state. So this that, this, this idea of changing navigable. Yeah. He, uh, Obama figured, being the constitutional scholar that he is, that this would give just unlimited opportunity to the federal government to be able to control water in the U.S. Did he ever describe, and has Biden ever described, in any uh, professional way, the purpose that they're after? Oh, yes. It's, it's, to, it's to make sure that we have access to clean water and that... Uh, that uh, as I said, the ports are clear. Nothing's, uh, nothing's, uh, you know, to, pr- to protect the environment. For Biden, it's more, you know, really, really focused on climate change. But the point is, so, so Obama passed this rule. States were up in arms. Uh, approximately half of them sued, not just states. Home builders sued. Developers sued. Farmer associations sued. And in several federal court rulings, his rules were blocked. They never came into effect. And they and they cited the Supreme Court. They said, look, it, if this goes forward, in the meantime, you're going to cost people a lot of money. You're going to cost states a lot of money. But And it's likely to be thrown out by the Supreme Court because they've already told you what you have before was too far. And this is overreach even more. So uh, they blocked it. Trump wrote his own rules, which were much more restrictive which tried to give clearer definitions so people would know when they needed permits or not. Wait, 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 wait. Go, wait. go back. Go back to the concept of restrictive. When yeah. Trump got in, there yeah. was a change, and the change was to try and move away from what Obama had put forth in this word a change and word manipulation. His restrictive. You mean restrictive against the federal government from being able to control? That's that's correct. Yeah, water yeah, yeah. No, on he, people's private land. He he attempted to write a rule that complied with previous Supreme Court rulings, which said there are sharp restrictions on what the federal government can control. Uh, There are sharp restrictions on what waters fall under. And so they tried to give hard definitions of what qualified and what didn't to give people regulatory certainty. Uh, That was challenged in court, as these things are, and it was held up. And when Biden came in, he withdrew the uh, Trump rule and said, we're writing our own. Now, in the meantime... In the background, there are court cases going forward. There's one before the Supreme Court now challenging the waters of the United States rule. The Biden administration knew this court case was going forward and was being and had been heard and they were awaiting a ruling while it was writing its rule. Rather than wait to see what the Supreme Court said, they said, oh, we're going to go forward. And basically, he took us back to the Obama rule that the courts have already said no to. Talking to Sterling Burnett, uh, he is uh, with the Heartland Institute, heartland.org, the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. He is also the managing editor of Environment and Climate News. Let's go now to this court ruling. This federal judge in North Dakota who said that this is a, a step too far, but what was the actual decision? How, how do you go about telling the federal government through some level of, of EPA dictate? Because remember, we're talking about the agency class. We're not talking about something that your member of Congress voted on. The very, very last thing we get to see is your member of Congress voting on any of these things. We're discussing here uh, that the, the EPA via Biden, 
Biden just decided to make a change and they made it in conjunction, I believe, with the U.S. Army. What did the what did the judge state there in North Dakota that makes this a a no go? Well, yeah, the the EPA works with the Army Corps of Engineers on on these wetlands rules because that falls a lot of times under uh, the Army Corps of Engineers. They make a lot of reservoirs. Um, so the, the judge basically said what previous judges have said, uh, this is too, this is federal overreach. Uh, it, it goes too far. It doesn't comply with previous Supreme court directives. And, and because, uh, I, I don't believe he issued a nationwide injunction. I think he issued injunction over only over the number of States under his jurisdiction. But, um, what he said was it's going to cost states and private property owners because it was already held up in two states with a trial there. Um, it's going to cost them a lot of money until this gets finally settled, probably by the Supreme Court. And they shouldn't have to bear that burden. And especially since, based on previous Supreme Court rulings, this won't hold water. It won't stand up. And so we're going to put it, we're going to block it in the meantime. You can continue to the court cases can go forward and uh, we'll see how it finally shakes out. But in in effect, it is not the rule. It's not the law of the land at present while this hold is on it. Now, you mentioned Congress. Right. It's important because Congress did have a say in this. Of course, they had a say from the beginning. They could have rewritten the Clean Water Act to make clear wetlands aren't covered. They only covered rivers ports and waters that uh, transverse state lines. They've never done that. The second way they could act, which is what they did, um, is they passed a congressional resolution uh, under uh, the Congressional Review Act resolution. They they passed something called the Congressional Review Act, which allowed Congress to review any regulation that would have over X amount of dollars impact. I think when it was written, it was 50 or 100 million dollars. And uh, they disapproved it by a bipartisan vote. Four Democrats and one independent joined all the Republicans in voting against allowing the rule to go forward. But it's a that's a though it's a congressional resolution. It was passed by both houses of Congress. But of course, just like with any law, Biden can veto it, and he did. And they don't have sufficient uh, numbers. In the Senate to override his veto, they, they, they I find it interesting. Don't have it in the House either. You know, the, the, the veto is is fascinating because the resolution is fascinating. Because when do you get this Congress uh, to agree on anything? But they did agree on this. They did agree yeah. on the overreach. And I want to go back to it just for a moment. When you talk about changing the concept of navigable, yeah. as people are commenting, uh, you know, uh, to me and have commented, you mean if I've got standing water? On my property, I have a a lake on my property, mine. I've purchased it. I purchased it specifically for it. I purchased it, and I, of course, have the total use of of my property. What the White House and what the EPA are saying is, no, you don't. So if I were to utilize that water to, let's say, have uh, cattle drink from, their argument is they should have the right to tell you no, that can't happen? Well, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. It could be that you didn't even buy the property with the lake on it. Let's say you create a stock pond on your land. You, you, you bought some land for recreation. You decided to become a recreational farmer. You're going to put a few cattle on there. And so you get a, a bobcat and you dig out a, a, a stock pond 
And so you create this uh, stock pond for your stock. Now, they don't, the federal government typically doesn't tell you your cattle can't run and use the stock pond. But if you wanted to refill that stock pond or dump some fill dirt elsewhere around it and it affected it, then they could say, no, no, you need a permit to fill that water. Um, on your property, within all your borders, within a single state, not, not you know, let's say you, you, there could be some weird cases where you own property in Texarkana, Texas. So it's on the border of Texas and Arkansas and your lake borders both. Okay. There, at least they could argue, oh, well, interstate commerce is at risk. You know, they could really stretch the definition, but, but if I'm in the middle of central Texas and I create a stock pond that's filled periodically by a windmill pumping water into it because it's dry out in West Texas. Uh, the, the federal government is claiming, no, 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 uh, we have some say over your uses of that. You can't be dumping dirt. You can't and, be draining. And, and what they say is the say, talking to Sterling Burnett of uh, Heartland.org, uh, their argument is, well, water is a natural resource. It belongs to all of us, and we need to be able to control how that water is utilized, where that water goes, and to make sure, of course, that that water is safe. Isn't this still an overreach conversation regarding well, the states? No, that's not exactly the argument. Oh. The, the, the argument is your water could, through some mechanism, travel to a river, a stream, a, 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 an, even an ephemeral body of water that carries water elsewhere. And if you're polluting your water or your water is critical to keeping a stream flowing, then we have say it's not necessarily about um, this isn't the clean. This isn't the drinking safe drinking water act. Uh, this is about uh, allowing ports and rivers to flow free. That's what the that's what the clean water act is about. And so the, the argument has always been, well, yeah, but water travels underground to other places, you know, these streams drain off somewhere. And if they drain off and they affect other waters, navigable waters, like I said, the traditional definition was navigable waters, then the U.S. government has some, uh, you know, there's some legitimate interest. don't they have to be able to prove, in a rational world, Ah. you would have to be able to prove such a thing. And what you're saying is (laughs) they've set this up in a way, they don't have to prove it, they just have to say it, and then you are what they call in the business SOL. Yeah, no. Uh, in in any lawful rule of law world, you know where uh, the burden of proof was on the government to prove something. Yeah, they'd have to prove that. Here, it's assumed, and what happens is, uh, boy, really complex. But what happens is, there are permits that you have to get if you do certain things. It's not a ban on doing certain things. It's you have to have permits. And then so they, the government decides whether you get the permit. And if you act without the permit, then you enter into, they say, look, we've advised you that this is a wetland. You've ignored our advisory opinion. So we're fining you something every day and telling you, you've got to put the water back in the condition it was. This is even before you reach court. This is an administrative hearing. Right. How much money can the average person spend fighting an administrative? And, of course, the government has gone to court and said, no, until you exhaust all your administrative remedies, you're not even allowed into court to challenge this. Now, the court, once again, a few years ago, said, no, no, 
They don't have to go through all these administrative hearings. They have access to the courts. That's the rule of law in the United States. So um, fortunately, that's the case now. But uh, it's still the case that, A, it's a lot of money. They And remember, if you lose, let's say you wind up in court and then you lose. Right. And, and they've been said, oh, we, we're putting fines on you every day. Those fines can pile up pretty high. And if you lose, you owe a lot of money. So they make a decision based on no facts, and then they use the administrative state to financially prevent you from being able to move forward. It sounds very much like a slap suit, a strategic lawsuit uh, against public participation. Uh, This ruling, uh, before I let you go, this ruling from this judge in North Dakota, is this enough? Is this enough to put an end to it? Or is this only your water is safe for now? This is your water is safe in many states, not in all. For now, because I really don't think I, I, I would have to look at the ruling more closely, but I don't think he issued a nationwide injunction. Uh, some judges have been doing a lot of that, but typically uh, district courts have jurisdiction over certain states. And it's in those states uh, that it's the, an injunction in other states. Uh, this goes forward, I believe. Now, I could be wrong if it's a nationwide injunction. It's still nothing but a hold. All this says is the rule can't go forward until the court until the court has finally made it a, a final determination. And of course, the final determination is not with this court or an appeals court, right? Which is the next step. It's the Supreme Court, and so a final determination could be years away. Yeah, and this only affects the twenty three states, as I know it. Uh, Idaho and Texas were already had uh, carve outs from previous. Uh, legislation. Sterling Burnett uh, from heartland.org. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us and to break this down. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. You can call me anything or anything you want. Just don't call me. The NRA show is coming to Indianapolis. I think it starts tomorrow. Anyway, welcome. I hope you have a good time. Spend lots of money. Enjoy Indianapolis. And then um, take care. And that's it. You know, that's what I say for every convention that comes to town. I say, welcome to Indianapolis. Welcome to Indiana. Have a nice day. Spend your money. Always with the spend your money. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. People are going to, we're going to protest this and we're going to have an event about that because it's the NRA and, you know, the NRA kills people. No, 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 no. You take a look at Louisville. You take a look at Nashville. And neither one of those murderers had anything to do with the NRA. Can we now take a look at what they did have to do with? What is the connective tissue between them? The hateful people who want to attack the NRA. And I don't argue the NRA's perfection by any stretch of the imagination. But they all want to say this is all connected. All these shootings connected to the NRA and their culture of death. Nothing connects to the NRA. The NRA believes that you should have the right to keep and bear arms, and they believe in defending that right. They also believe in training. Let's now go to the people who committed the murders in Nashville and in Louisville, and let's see what they were connected with. I mean, if we're going to engage the importance of connections, let's go see who they were connected to. Seems like the only rational course. Oh, no, we can't do that because that in and of itself would be too harmful. Better that you should just stick with this narrative of attacking the NRA. Yeah, no, no, nah, not gonna, not gonna play that game. For if you're here for the NRA show, welcome. Have a great, wonderful, safe time, and don't forget to spend 
your money. So much of it. Spend it right here in Indy. This is Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.locals.com. As we've been talking about colleges and universities, value, cost, and is it all worth it? This is something that's affecting all of us. Because not only are we affected by by those of us who who may have uh, kids college age or, or starting to plan for it. Remember, the amount of time people spend on planning for their kids' college education, that's a, that's a huge amount of time. It is miraculous how, what an industry this is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything on Locals, TonyKatz.Locals.com. TonyKatz.Locals.com. Be a part of what we're doing and what we're growing over there. Become a subscriber. I'd greatly appreciate it. It is remarkable what an industry this is, and and that's part of the problem. It's an industry. It's about throwing degrees at people who may not really need a degree or may not even have ever actually earned the degree, but you just got to give the degrees so you're a university or a college that shows, look how many degrees we gave out, and that's what matters. Kids graduating, if they're going, matters, and what is the approach placed on getting these kids to graduate matters as well. Is it just pushing them through? Is it a question of which groups we push through? The idea of identity this and quote-unquote diversity and inclusion that, which is, of course, all madness and bigotry in my view. But we should be clear that college does work for some people. College does indeed matter for a, a good amount of people. You want your doctors having the education. You want your lawyers being better than they are. Oh, sorry. Are the lawyers insulted? Uh, uh, I'll wait for the lawsuits. But you want these things. To a level, you want this education. And I, you know, I shouldn't even say it about lawyers. I figure you can read a book and pass the bar. You don't even need law school. I, I, I'm, I'm a real purist on that one. But we, we should be clear that education matters. We're not, we're not kidding ourselves in this. It's just that college is not necessarily the education that everybody needs. And what we've seen from colleges in terms of the stories told, we take a look at what happened to Riley Gaines at San Francisco State University. We take a look at the, the unbelievable disrespect that speakers are given. We take a look at whether the students are in charge or not. And we're like, what is, what is this nonsense? But then we take a look here in Indiana and Ivy Tech. And Ivy Tech is Indiana's community college. I mean, you're paying for it. And there's a value to what community college can offer because it doesn't necessarily mean you then have to go to a four-year university, although you could go to a four-year university. It can offer a skill set that allows for the better financial opportunity. And one of the things that Dr. Sue Elsperman, president of Ivy Tech, has been discussing with me over the past week is that they really do feel that they their job is to serve the student and to serve the employer who works with them, who looks to them to be able to create the kind of graduates that are then able to engage the workforce and be prosperous, which we should agree is pretty important. But when we talk about this, and as I've been talking to her about it, one of the subjects that came up was the idea of where do these students come from? Are these urban students or are these rural students? Is there really a difference? And how do you go about attracting each one? And how in the world do you serve each one, considering especially when we're talking about rural students, you may not have the campus or a satellite campus nearby, and Ivy Tech has got a whole a bunch of them. You can find them at ivytech.edu. How do you serve them? Does it matter to you if you serve them, these rural students? Or is it about the urban student? Or is it just the opposite? And we got into the conversation. 
how do, how do you pay for this stuff? The buildings that you see, the growth that you sometimes yeah. want to have, who's paying for this? So we have 19 campuses, 40 locations, and the General Assembly uh, helps us with capital. Um, but in fact, you'll be happy to know, Tony, we're actually smaller today than we were 10 years ago. We have removed almost a million square feet out of a 6.5 million square foot across the state of Indiana because today we don't need as many classrooms as we once did. About a third of our students will take online classes, right? That's part of the new world or hybrid. We will always need high quality labs. And for those reasons, we continue to need to improve the capital that we have. Uh, so we have six proposals before the General Assembly right now uh, to ask them to help us upgrade. So it's not to build more classrooms, but to have world-class labs in areas like advanced manufacturing, industry 4.0, uh, like in nursing simulation, like in welding and all those uh, industrial trades that are needed. So um, so we we won't be bigger we will all we will serve more. And by the way, Tony, we've served 175,000 Hoosiers this year. That's a lot of Hoosiers. Now, we've got 2 million yet that don't have anything post-secondary. So we still have a long way to go. But right. our spaces are not, we're not com- getting more space to have more space. In fact, in Columbus, we took down the old campus, built a brand new one, state of the art that will serve that community and service area tremendously well, but it's not one square foot larger than the old one. And in fact, that was my rule because we want our money to go towards our students, our programs, quality faculty, et cetera, right? So I don't want to spend any more. I'm an industrial engineer. I'm not going to spend any more money on facilities than we need to, but we have to have High quality facilities. When you bring up this idea of virtual education, uh, when you talk about Indiana, you're talking about urban versus rural Mm -hmm. uh, and and how that plays out. Is there a propensity for Ivy Tech to really only be interested in one kind of student? If you're interested in the rural uh, student, as you talk about virtual classes, is is that meant for for rural or is it meant for both? And and what do you do about those rural communities that don't have the Internet access to begin with? Yeah. So we're, that's one of the reasons we're in 40 communities. So 19, which would be in our, you know, large to smaller and medium sized cities. Um, We're within 30 minutes of more than 90% of Hoosiers. So even if you come from a more rural county, there are very few that you can't get to an Ivy Tech in 30 or 40 minutes from where you are. Um, And we offer uh, exclusively online for those students who need that. and then we have a number of uh, virtual, uh, what you would have called virtual options, where they're really synchronous, right? Like we're doing today on this interview. Uh, and during COVID, we provided hotspots. We have loaner laptops. So there are very few places where a Hoosier can't get uh, access to us. Um, they may have to go to their local library if they need, you know, to get, if they had no Uh, access at home, but we have made it very possible for our students, for Hoosiers across the state of Indiana to get access to us. And it is something we care deeply about. And a community college needs to serve rural 
and urban. And I also, the other thing to, to understand is, look, I'm sitting in Ferdinand, Indiana, my home today before I head out to the rest of my meetings today. We have, we have fiber to our door, right? In a small town of 2000. That doesn't, that's not every town, but this governor has worked hard to bring internet throughout our state to make sure it's getting to that last mile. And thankfully, there are fewer and fewer who don't have it. And for those who don't, we can help them with hotspots, loaner laptops, et cetera. Uh, the, um, the rural urban conversation in terms of graduates, what's the breakdown there? That's a good question. I don't have that at my fingertips, but Tony, happy to get that to you. What I can tell you, we're in over 400 high schools with dual credit. So I know those students in many, most, because we're in almost every high school in Indiana, those students are getting dual credit, that early college experience starting there. So it is, we're not leaving small communities behind. We approach every one of them and our service areas. So a campus may sit in Columbus, Indiana. It encompasses all those rural com- uh, counties around it. And those uh, chancellors and their teams uh, serve each one of the smaller communities. So we are not uh, only uh, in that small city. We believe and and we cover every inch of Indiana and fully expect uh, to serve the students, the adult learners, all those who would need us, uh, particularly the employers and the programs they need in those communities. Would you uh, agree or disagree that it is harder today than it was a decade ago to get students to think of higher education, never mind an Ivy Tech education? Would I agree or disagree? Um, oh, I to- we asked the hard questions. I yeah, mean, I'm, that's, that's, you know, yeah. I can see both sides of it, that it is probably more ingrained in some that you will go to college, right? Where I was a first generation college student um, that we would probably go, but wasn't assumed. Uh, today, I think at probably by socioeconomic, that top half, it, it's assumed they will go. Um, the other half, it is, uh, you know, are there other options out there because of the affordability question? I think it looks different. Um, I think what we saw during COVID when we were doing our branding analysis, we were looking at the Ivy Tech brand. In fact, Tony, we looked at, should we change our name? Uh, and let me tell you, Hoosiers like the name Ivy Tech. It, it does work for us, for who we are. Uh, but we asked uh, that to parents, to students, and we got a very clear um, answer that Post-secondary is still valued. I think the question of, is it affordable? And in what ways is it affordable? And that's the place we fit squarely. We are affordable. $4,500 a year full-time is affordable. And we can help, you know, if you're Pell eligible, it will more than cover. I think what is where the value proposition looks different is when you're talking um, full freight at 
a residential, public, private, then that's a big investment. And that's just it. It is a big investment, which is why people ask, well, what is the return? That was my conversation, or part of my conversation with Dr. Sue Elsperman. I'm gonna we did it as a, a video. I'm gonna have the whole video up so people can watch it and 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 dig in on it. Uh, I really do think that I need to do more of these, right? It, it, how, how do these colleges sell themselves? People are too used to the idea that well, it's college. You got to go to college. Oh, got to have college. No, this is a business, and well, I guess there's a question of whether it should be. But when you're a business, how do you differentiate? And when we talk about it, we talk about usually from that woke side, and, and, and usually that's how colleges come up, that none of them seem to differentiate. They all seem to to engage that. But the truth is there are differences, and you just got to dig a little bit deeper, and part of it is understanding how they see it, how they see the mission of their, their university, and then how they see their clientele, how they see... Uh, the value that they provide, and then how do they, how do they market that? And what are we seeing? Do they even understand that there's a disconnect sometimes between the things? I think with Ivy Tech, it's a much different case because I think people try, you know, and I think I don't think they try. That's that's the wrong word. They look at community college and they go, oh, and and I don't think they should. And I said it before. I'll say it, I'll say it again. I dig what they do, even if I don't agree with every last procedure. I dig the concept tremendously. And, and me, I want to figure out how I can be of service. I want to figure out how I can engage with them to maybe keep it on the straight and narrow. I do believe this wholeheartedly. You can't simply say, oh, education, look what the liberals have done to it and be gone. No, conservatives need to become teachers. You got to get in it. Now, what, what conservatives have done, a lot of us say, all right, all right, fine. We'll, we'll homeschool. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll charter school. We're good. Thank you so very much. They're not wrong. Oh, these are my people. They are not wrong. But I think sometimes you got to get in it. You got you, you to gotta dive in and be willing to put yourself in there to make sure that, that a voice is heard. And in me, I, I've I kind of decided I got to do more of that. So I'm going to do more of that. My thanks to Dr. Sue Elsperman, ivytech.edu. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. I'm not concerned about the late years. I'm concerned that it happened. But there's nothing contemporaneous that I'm aware of that is of great consequence. That's probably the most consequential thing that came out of Joe Biden's trip to Ireland. I mean, everything else that came out of the trip to Ireland is just one gaffe after another. Thank you all very much. And I'm not going home. I'm staying here. And this is an incredible place. All you American reporters. Looks just like the White House, right? I mean, that's the best he's got. I'm not going home. This place is beautiful. You don't know if you're English or Irish. Did he have a whole thing? He didn't know who he is, where he's from. He doesn't know anything. It's, it's really just, just something else. To be sure, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Uh, the leaks, as we've been discussing it, 
you know, we were on this quick. We knew it was a problem, guys. You and me, we knew it was a problem the minute we saw this. And it's getting uglier. And that Washington Post report, well, we we, we heard from this person who's a teenager who was in a chat room with this guy. Uh, and um, it was uh, uh, 20-something, uh, some 20-something who was able to hack in. First of all, we have 20-somethings who can hack into the DOD. Is, is that the story? I'm waiting for it to kind of get a little more reporting and get fleshed out as, as we've been discussing. But holy crap. Are we going to now have people tell me that this guy is some kind of freedom fighter? This guy did the right thing by releasing these documents? If we are not a society that understands that some things do indeed need to be private, they need to be secret, they need to be kept under wraps, well, then we're, we're screwed. We are screwed. This is damaging stuff. It is. The, these documents, uh, the the interpersonal communications, the going after Mossad and, 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 dear Lord, hurting the relationship with South Korea. How do we respond to this? And I'm now waiting for the people to say, well, you know, this 20-something, just a child. I'm waiting for that one. And then, oh, this 20-something, you know, look at what they... It, 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 look, look, at, look at what the importance of this. And this is why we need full disclosure. Am I the only person talking about treason? Am I the only person discussing what you do with traitors? Yes, hacking our, our uh, the DOD and releasing documents is traitorous. I'm not quite sure how you go in any other direction, personally. We will talk more about it in the days ahead. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. I'm Tony Katz. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care.